I go now to Kirsty Scully, and she is a regular contributor, and she is going to be talking to us tonight about um, the finances we need to think about and, and consider when we are in our 40s. 40s is a tricky time. It feels like a long time ago for me. If I had a child, that would be in their 40s now, which is frightening. Um, so many of you might have children looking at these kinds of financial uh, issues and wanting to be independent. It is a tricky time. People realize they're getting older, they're no longer young anymore, and sometimes the goals seem untenable. Maybe they're, they realize their skills, maybe their skills need still developing. Um, the question that I'm going to ask to Kirsty, who is a certified financial planner from Core Wealth in Cape Town, is um, what are the issues uh, that... Uh, um, that we're going to focus on tonight amongst people in this midlife stage. Hi, Kirsty. Hi there, Lindsay. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, to, to answer what sort of typical issues we, we do see, you know, um, I think the biggest thing is people get to that sort of middle age and, um, you know, if we can call 50 or 40 at least uh, middle age, I don't know, but they get that sort of middle age crisis, you know, and they either go off and buy these fancy sports cars, um, which they probably can't afford in any case, or otherwise they get into a bit of a serious depression when they actually realize the reality of the shortcomings of their finances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, um, where, where do we, yeah, where do we start? Well, I, th- I would definitely say the most important thing to do is to have a uh, have a really good financial plan put together. And, you know, that's, that doesn't matter what age you are. You should have a good financial plan. Whether you're 20, 40, or 60 years of age, you should have a financial plan for, for, your, for all your finances. But I think most importantly is that if you have reached the age of 40, Okay, and you still don't have a financial plan. It really is. It's becoming critical because you know a financial plan is a little bit like having a road map, and it it helps you to get where you're trying to go to. So it, you help you you you're able to set your goals, and then you work on how you're going to achieve those goals. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And it's yeah about focusing on that. I mean, what's up has already come in um, saying before you start planning financially, you have to have money saved. But you don't. It's it's about well, the planning, isn't that? Absolutely, absolutely. It's um, you know uh, you you can start. Uh, obviously, if you've got money, that's going to allow you to plan more easily yeah. for for something. Yeah. But on the other hand, a good financial plan will um, actually get people out of debt. So that they can start investing on a regular yeah. basis. So, so that that's not entirely co- uh, correct. I mean, it does certainly works both ways. Yeah. No, of course, times have changed, and 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 many young people um, are considering retirement uh, way ahead of when perhaps you and I consider it, um, and they are not even thinking about planning because they're not going to plan. They're not going to retire. Um, uh, but you've got to, whatever you plan to do. You've got to, you have a financial plan in place, don't you? Yeah, well, you know, when you're looking at, uh, I mean, uh, quite, quite frankly, I often get like a lot of millennials. They'll say, they'll say to me, no, but I, I'm, I'm not planning to ever retire. I want to continue working. And the thing what you've got to be very careful about there is the fact that, um, you know, we, we, we might have all these ideas that we're going to continue working, working, working. 
But what happens if you are unable to work? And that's what's important to be looking at. If you can't work, um, what have you done to be able to pay for things like frail care? You know, and we all need to actually save so that we can pay for this sort of thing if necessary. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, okay, so uh, people in their forties. Um, what else is important? Uh, that, that what else is important that they should look out for in their f- finances? Yeah. Well, I think you know, with any um, when it, when it comes to financial planning, I always say that probably the most important thing, number one thing to have in place, is to have your will in place. And I know we speak about a will on quite a regular basis, but it really is critical because if you die without a will, you die what we call dying intestate, and this can really have a huge impact on your family, um, and especially it can be very devastating, especially if there's you're leaving behind a spouse and children. So I think it is very important to have a will in place. And you've spoken about wills before, and, and, and probably the biggest response was to that. I think specifically though we're talking about people in their 40s, a lot of people don't think that they're old enough to have a will. Loads of people don't think they're old yeah. enough, or they don't think they, they're wealthy enough. Yeah. But in fact, they actually are. Um, so it, it really is very important. I mean, let me just give you an example of yeah. somebody. I was going to say, remind uh, us what happens if yeah. you don't have a will. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important because, you know, an example of, a, of, of if you die intestate is probably easier than, um, you know, trying to explain just dying intestate. Let's have a look. Say you've got a couple, um, maybe as an example, they could be married in community of property and say their assets are worth a total of, say, 900000 just to give me a, give a round figure. Now, if, say, for example, the husband passes away, the wife would automatically be entitled to the first 125,000 rand. But on an estate of, say, 900,000 or more than that sort of amount, you, um, what, what would happen is, say there's two children and there's a wife, the, the 900,000 would actually be divided by the three of them. So the wife would get 300 and each child would get 300,000. Okay. Now, the problem here is that if the children are under 18, then that money is going to be housed, needs to be looked after by the guardian's fund. Okay, yeah. and this means that the wife would be left with her three hundred thousand, and she's got to look after the family on that portion. Um, be, she's got to clothe them, she's got to put a roof over their heads, you know, all that with just this meager little three hundred thousand. Um, and the problem here is that the rest of the money for the children would be held in the guardian's fund. Okay, and although it is accessible, it's not easily accessible in the guardian's fund. So, the, the really the issue here is if a husband had just signed a will, he could have ensured that the wife would get the bulk of the assets. Mm. And maybe the children's a small portion, but it would make it, her life so much easier to run the family after that. Mm. Uh, and the Guardians Fund, of course, uh, w- is, is set up um, to protect uh, a whole lot of people. But as you mentioned, there's obviously uh, it, it's not that easy. Tell us more about the fund. Yeah. You know, the Guardians Fund is there really to be able to receive money Okay, and manage it on behalf of people who legally are incapable because in most cases because they're actually too young. So it generally speaking is for for, uh, minor children who inherit when a parent passes away without a will. 
Okay. Now the money from the parents' estate goes into the guardian's fund and it's invested with what is known as the Public Investment Commission. And it's, it's in fact audited on an annual basis. But the High Court appoints a guardian, okay, mm-hmm. who can then claim maintenance on behalf of the child that, they, that they're looking after. Now, these payments are made. As I say, the, the, the master of the high court can, can authorize these payments, and they would be payments for things like school and university fees, you know, other maintenance costs, clothes, medical fees, those sorts of things. But every time the guardian applies for, for funding, it's got to be motivated. And it's actually quite effortful to go through this whole motivation process. Mm, um, mm, and mm. and you know, just in my experience, the guardians who are looking after these children, whether it's the remaining spouse or whoever it is, they actually end up having quite a hard time, in fact, getting the money paid out when they need it paid out. Mm, yeah, mm. So, and again, all this could have been solved by literally having a will in place. Mm. so that that didn't happen with with your your money. So those people who do leave a will, they also want to to know that the money is managed well and their children don't want to go off to Tahiti or and buy a Lamborghini or something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so so that 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 is obviously a, um, something that does happen. People do have wills, and generally speaking, in a will, you'll have what is called a testamentary trust. Now, that is a special trust that gets set up, and it only actually gets set up when you pass away. So it doesn't cost anything to run before you pass away or anything like that. It gets set up when you pass away, and it is used to house the money, which is for the minors or for the children that that are are, are actually going to be inherited. Okay, um, and you can specify at what age your children can get that money. So some people will say, you know, my child can get it from the age of 18, or they'll say maybe at the age of 18 they can get 10%, and they can get the bulk at 25 or 30 or whatever the case is. What I normally do is I recommend it at least at the earliest that the children can actually access the money themselves would be at about the age of 25. Only because there's so many children who, and I say children, I'm now talking actually young adults, who actually are just not in fact capable of managing that sort of money. Now, it doesn't mean that they have no access to the money. Because what it means is when they need money, the trustees will then be able to look at the situation and say, yes, this child or a young adult is going off to varsity, let's get that paid out and they'll make sure the money's paid out for varsity. Or maybe they need a small car, they'll get a a, a little car instead of getting, as you gave the example, a Lamborghini. Mm. You know what I mean? So they get sort of something reasonably priced based on what, what sort of money is in the trust for them. So it's appropriate. Okay, yeah. so we've mentioned a will that a lot of people in their 40s don't think of, um, yeah. but they've had enough time to notch up some debt. Oh, yes, because a lot of people by the age of, in their 40s, do have a lot of debt. And um, I think what is important here is that you need to understand your debt. Okay, so you need to understand what sort of interest you're paying on the various types of debt and over what period you're paying that. Now, if you are 40 years of age and you've still got a lot of debt other than your home loan, it's time to start reducing that debt, but aggressively. Okay, it's time to get rid of it. So you look at what is your most expensive debt. In other words, um, it's not necessarily the biggest debt. It's the debt that is that you pay the highest interest rate on. Which one is that? And make a list of all your debt in the order 
starting with the one with the highest interest rate and get that one paid off first and then you pay off the next one and so on and so forth um, but literally so whatever you've been paying on the one with the highest debt once you've paid that off take that money and add it to the one that you're paying off for the next highest debt and slowly but surely you'll be able to do that uh, and again I, start, I, 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 I always say leave the credit card at home because it's so tempting to use a credit card and if it's at home it gives you that opportunity to just think twice before you actually spend on it Okay, so we've spoken about debt. Um, also, people in their forties don't often think of retirement. Um, uh, many people don't even know how much they should be saving. Mm. Yeah, well, you know th- that's exactly the point, and that's why you need to need to meet with a financial planner because a financial planner will be able to help you out with those questions. Okay, so mm. here's a question: um, um, Is there a specific a percentage of our income that we should be saving for for retirement. Yeah. Um, well, roughly speaking, okay. Now this is this is quite roughly speaking. If you want to retire with eighty percent of what you're earning now, so I mean that would be you know it's kind of you would have been used to earning whatever the amount is, and if you want to retire with about eighty percent, you need to start saving fifteen percent of whatever it is that you earn from the age of 25. Now the problem here is that most people don't start to save at the age of 25. So if you haven't started saving at the age of 25 and and you're now in your 40s, like we're talking about people now in their 40s, um, you're going to actually have to save considerably more. In fact, you need to save between 40 and 45% of what you earn so as to retire with 80% of what you're earning. Um, and, and, of course, that is probably impossible for most people. And it just shows us, once again, how important it is to start saving at a very young age mm, for your mm. retirement. Mm. It's a huge amount when you start putting it like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it totally is. Um, and, again, we just need to start saving as young as possible, as early as possible. The sooner you start to save, uh, the more you're going to have in retirement and the less it's actually going to cost you at the end of the day. I remember when I was in my 40s, I I heard this thing, you know, retirement um, funds. And um, the thing that got me interested is is the fact that you save on your tax. Of course you do, absolutely. Um, and, and you're absolutely correct with that. And in fact, you can make a very big saving. I've been doing a lot of people's calculations just this month because I always say, uh, you know, February's a month we start thinking about how we can try and save our clients some more money on their retirement savings. So you could use either a retirement annuity, you could use a pension fund, you could use a provident fund for your work. Um, I find a lot of people like to top up their retirement savings using a retirement annuity. But the point here is to remember that that you can invest up to 27.5% of whatever is your gross income. Now, your gross income is the, the amount you earn before tax, okay? So let's, let's have a look at an example. Say you earn 100,000 Rand for the year, okay? And if you don't invest into any retirement fund at work or anything like that, then what you can do is you 
can start paying some money into, reti- into retirement annuities. So say you, you're earning 100,000 rand a year, you would normally be taxed then on 100,000 rand. But say you then decide to open a retirement annuity and you put away 27.5% of what you're earning, so that's on 100,000 rand, that's 27,500. You put that into a retirement annuity. Instead of paying tax on 100,000 rand, you are effectively only paying tax on, tw- on, on 72,500 rand because you can take that 27,500 off. So I'm, I'm simplifying it all, but I think most people will get the idea. And therefore, the more you put in, the better it is. So it's important to remember that the money that you, that you invest into a retirement annuity Okay, has um, no, there's no tax, there's no tax on the interest, there's no tax on the dividends, there's no capital gains tax, so it's a really, really big saving. So you can invest up to 27.5% or a maximum of 350,000 Rand for the year. Okay. Hmm. Uh, well, of course, we always want to um, save on tax. Any other suggestions? Well, absolutely. Um, using the tax-free savings account, that's quite a nice way of doing it. Um, you know, once you've put in as much as you want to put into a retirement fund, you can start thinking about the tax-free savings account. And these started about five years ago. The government brought them out. And we are allowed to each invest up to 33,000 rand per year into a tax-free savings account. So that means on a monthly basis, you can invest up to 2,750 rand per month in into a tax-free savings account. And you can invest in there for about 15 or 16 years, and by then you would have invested your 500,000. That's, of course, if you put in the maximum amount in. And once you've invested your 500,000, that is the maximum that you are allowed to invest at the moment over a lifetime. However, we are expecting that amount to be increased, um, you know, hopefully later. Mm. So people have to just keep in, in touch with what the, the latest demands are. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, what, what I particularly like about a tax-free savings account is that, as I said, there's no tax on the interest or the dividends or the, or the capital gains tax. But what's even better about a tax-free savings account, um, and this is what I like, is the fact that if you're paying this money in on an, a monthly basis or an annual basis and, and you're building up this big kitty, by the time you get say, to retirement, you've saved quite a lot of money there, and you can then start to draw an income out of your tax-free savings account, and that income is tax-free. So it's a huge bonus. Mm. So I definitely feel that a tax-free savings account should definitely be in everybody's portfolio. Mm, mm. Oh, we've got the budget speech uh, tomorrow. Do you think that people in their 40s take notice of the budget speech, and should they? Mm. They definitely should. Um, I know it's a bit of a long, tedious um, thing to listen to. I can agree with that. But what I would what I would always suggest is, if you're not going to listen on the day, try and pick up a summary over it. You know, and you'll get a summary a day or two or three later. You'll see the summaries coming out. Um, I certainly know that for us as financial planners, we all get invited to a number of functions where they they do kind of like a summary of the budget speech and and bringing out the most important points. Um, I'll be going to something on Friday about that. So so it makes it a little bit easier than trying to listen to this whole long and involved thing. Mm. But yes, we're not expecting any major changes this year. Uh, there are a few things we'll be looking out for, but um, at the moment we aren't really expecting anything major. But it will be interesting to see what is said tomorrow. And of course, because they are connected, 
you know, in terms of uh, the economy and the, the, the management of a budget, it does impact on things like interest rates. All these calculations Absolutely. you've been doing um, look very different uh, if the interest rate is knocked down or up um, yes. in, in terms of our, our economic uh, growth. Yes, because one of the things that we often see changing at, at the time of the budget speech is what people are, are having to pay in tax. Yes. You know, the tax brackets move a little bit, so we always look out for that. So we aren't expecting anything major, but I'm sure there will be a slight change. And the other thing to look out for is if there are any changes in retirement planning as to the amount that we can invest. Again, we're not expecting that. And, of course, it was as a budget speech that we really were told about the when tax-free savings accounts Started. So yep. um, there, is a, there is a drive. We are seeing National Treasury trying to have a good drive to be able to get people to save more for their retirement, which is, of course, what we want to do. Well, Kirsty, um, next week you will be back talking to uh, somebody who, to whom this conversation would probably be directly responsible. Thanks once again for your time on Cape mm. Talk. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.